I'm having my one. Hello, and welcome to the I'm Having My One podcast, a podcast we've made about board games. I'm joined today by my good friends Tom. Hello. And Paul. Hello. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the game we've just played, which was Brass Lancashire. We're going to have a chat about what else we might have been playing since our last record, have a look at any crowdfunding news, our six of the best segment, and our main topic this week is going to be a bit of a deep dive into one of our favourite game designers. All of this and more in 80 minutes or less. Let's not waste any time here. So we've just finished playing Brass Lancashire, which is a game for two to four players set in England during the Industrial Revolution. It was developed by Martin Wallace and originally published by Warfrog Games. The aim of the game is to build coal mines, ironworks, cotton factories, ports, canals and rail links, while establishing trade routes, all of which are used to score points. The game is divided into two historical eras, the Canal Era and the Rail Era, with victory points scored at the end of each. In 2017, Canadian publishers Roxley Games launched a Kickstarter to re-implement and reprint the game under the new name Brass Lancashire uh, with new artwork and components, as well as some slightly modified uh, rules. At the same time, its successor and current BGG top-rated game, Brass Birmingham, was introduced, uh, adding Gavin Brown and Matt Tolman to the design team. Brass Birmingham features a few new uh, mechanisms while essentially maintaining the core rule set from Brass Lancashire. So this is a card-driven game where players have a hand of eight cards on your turn. You will take two actions to either build industries, build link tiles, sell goods, take loans. Uh, There are two separate yet intertwined tracks around the board, one for victory points and one which will represent your income, which can go up as you sell or flip your industries. Uh, But you may also take a reduction in income in order to take a loan from the bank. You can flip your tiles by depleting its resources or selling your cotton. Flip tiles not only give a bonus to income, but also give victory points at the end of each era, as well as adding points to adjacent link tiles. The develop action allows players to spend iron to cycle through lower level industries quicker. Um, I think the majority of gamers will have played either Birmingham or Lancashire, so uh, we won't labour on about this too much, he says. Um But we're already big fans of Brass Birmingham. This is our, I think, all of our first playthrough of Lancashire. What do we think? I think it's great. I think the there's there's some very noticeable differences about the the game compared to to Birmingham, right? But I don't particularly feel like anything um, there was was negative. Um, It was, I think, a little bit um tighter as a game we played it as three players and we said well we're playing imagine how tight it would be as four it feels like there's more space on the birmingham map but i don't think that's necessarily negative i wonder whether that might impact its mass appeal a little bit but um i I quite quite enjoyed it you know i wonder if that might actually start um us seeing the use of mechanics like overbuild which i've never ever ever seen in Mm -hmm. birmingham Mm mm-hmm yeah, for sure. It, it felt uh, like I was in more one region as well. I don't know whether that was necessarily the cards that I had or whether it's the way in which the game was played, but in both areas that you have, you have your, your canal area and you have your, your steam area, um, I felt like I was in one area of the map much more than I'm in Birmingham, which feels a bit more more sprawling. Yeah, and I think I think, like you say, it was a lot easier to get kind of stuck in terms of if you didn't expend um expand those those that that link network early. Yes. Certainly in the first era I was I was I was like shut away in a corner. I had no there was nothing I could do. Yeah, and that can be very difficult. 
Um, th- there's some really good extra things in it, though, right? So I'd almost want to house rule it into um, Brass Birmingham's the loans uh, system, where yeah. you there are in Brass Birmingham you can have a, a loan which is thirty pounds that you you get, and there's a financial penalty um, for doing that, effectively repaying the loan. But with Lancashire, you can have it at thirty pounds, twenty pounds, or ten pounds, and then take then the smaller penalty uh, for doing so. Because sometimes you don't need thirty pounds to be able to to do what you want to achieve. Sometimes you just need the smaller loan to just tide you over until you can sell something that enables you to then increase your income of your faction overall. That gets you the points. I really like that as a as an addition here. You can see it's 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 odd, isn't it? Having come from, I guess, having come from only playing Birmingham to now come to this, which by rights in its was its was the original, right? The original was out mm. in two thousand and seven, so ten years um, or a good ten years or so earlier. Mm. Um, and you can see the rules that they've added to Birmingham with like the beer and the extra industries. They've kind of basically replaced the the boats with pottery um, and stuff like that. But I, I kind of liked only having one industry. Right? I kind of liked just having cotton to work with. I like the port. <laughs> yeah, I certainly feel that in in Lancashire, you okay. Maybe maybe the the, the shipyards are a difference. Like the shipyards are the way in which you can build a um, get a lot of points. You know, spend a lot t- to be able to do them, but then you get a, a big reward for doing it. As you say, replacing the pottery in in Birmingham. But actually, I think in Birmingham there is a lot of variety. As you say, in the different goods that you build, and I often don't get anywhere near kind of touching uh some of them right is that i'm normally building the box factories or something like that because they're, they're easiest to the cheapest to feel like you're getting going far with them whereas here yeah just having the one just the, it's all about the cotton industry um was was good it's good there's a lot that actually is really really quite interesting about this that the boats yeah the so in birmingham you have when you take the cell action there's just the generic beer you need to have beer, but you just can't sell. With this, I actually think that it's potentially an improvement is the ability to sell either through one of the ports that you build and then you get the benefit of it. Uh, and also a little bit like the beer in Brass Birmingham, if somebody else uses that port, you then still can get the, the benefit of it because it's your port that is being used. But having another option to be able to to sell even when you can't do that was great, right? And, and now there's a bit, I mean, perhaps you need to explain that in a little bit more detail. There's a bit of a penalty or or a bit of a push your luck element to that, right? That when you are selling to that, what they call the global markets. Okay, um, yeah, the distant markets. Distant market, you draw a card and the whatever is on that card, like minus two or minus three, will impact the price of what you're selling. And so that limits the number of times that can that can happen. <clears throat> you say you want to take the selling action, you draw that card, and it's got minus two on it. That means the global price of cotton goes down to, and then you're going to receive that income bonus from it. You do that again, again, again. It just the, the market bottoms out, and then there's nothing to be made from doing it. So that is not some. It's not an area that you can just sell, 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 sell the whole time. There is a limit to being able to do that. But again, I think that's quite clever. I maybe would have quite liked to have seen a plus, maybe just one or two cards in there somehow that gave it the ability to go back up, perhaps just a little bit. So you could have a fluctuating market rather than just going down. It's great to have another way to be able to sell. It also 
feels a bit more thematic. And I sort of understand it if you think about it as Lancashire was the first version of that, where they thought, oh, well, you know, what we're doing is we're getting these goods and you're going to sell them off on the world market um, for, for cotton. You're a nice little mechanic. But when you're doing Brass Birmingham, you're a little bit too landlocked to be able to have any kind of <laughs> uh, support to be able to, to send that cotton off off on. So having um, some other mechanism that it, it I don't want to say it's shoehorned in, but it kind of does make sense to the beer for the workers sort of thing to to sell it, right? But it makes a bit more thematic sense to me that I build something and then I'm selling it off in some sort of trading trading way, you know? I think I might be talking myself into liking this game more, you know? <laughs> Spoilers for the scores. So, I mean, we've we've referenced Ross Birmingham a bunch of times on the podcast. I kind of I'm surprised that somehow we've ended up playing this first. No, no. <laughs> um, the truth of the matter, if the listeners want to know the the, the rhyme to our madness, is that uh, I managed to get my hands on a copy of the deluxe version of this uh, of of Lancashire. I already own Birmingham, and it just seemed like a good opportunity to get it to to the to the virtual table, as it were. Um, to to have a playthrough but so you know early impressions um speaking purely about mechanics and gameplay what did you guys think of it compared to Birmingham so I think ultimately it's difficult because we've played Birmingham a lot and this is the first time we've played Lancashire yep I have to say I preferred Birmingham more I like the fact that there are extra options there are extra things to do and yeah, I felt a lot more limited playing this game. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It makes it feel maybe more pressured. There's there's no way of sort of differentiating the map. I know there was a, there's like a two-player option of doing it. But three and four players, you're playing on the same map, whereas in, at Birmingham, they kind of limit how many um, selling locations there are, which then shrinks the map down. It would be interesting to play Lancashire at four players because, as, as you mentioned earlier, Tom, I think it would become a lot more a lot more pressured to try and you know mm. find some space find somewhere to go although i suppose there's only a certain amount of actions because it's a the same hand size pretty much isn't it for for both games yeah again that's maybe the overbuilding thing as you'd see more overbuilding going on it feels like a much tighter uh board in terms of the networks right i think so and actually, I think that I think that there's a lot more in the board design in this first one because there was a lot of locations that felt incredibly close, but they didn't actually have canal access in the canal era until you know, like that chunk right in the middle actually isn't all connected. As um, someone that's currently living up in that point part of the world, I, I think it's very well done because actually, sort of knowing the main canal routes up there, and actually there are huge parts that until motorways came along that just weren't connected or until the train lines came along so you're right in that first era it is a lot more limited of where you can go on the map and where you can put your link tiles Uh, and i kind of like the accuracy that they'd got that sort of down so tom artwork between both games very very similar still you know kind of thematic and setting Yes, yes, I think so. I mean, it's one of the things that is great about Brass Birmingham, um, and it's really to just carry it over here, right? If you look back at the original, this is one of the funny things that you you notice how much it's moved forward in this these Roxley Games versions. In that early one, it didn't look bad, but it didn't look great. <laughs> um, it was very, very, very different style. Uh, 
plain uh sort of pale background map um points on on uh on the board that you move around and you know okay right the ships and actually a lot of the that sort of artwork's not massively different um but yes it that the the sort of dark grimy industrial revolution feel that you get in brass birmingham has been carried over to this new version and it's just great yeah i feel like you need like a smoke machine or something when you play just to make it even more thematic <laughs> just like fog up the place it, i bet you know the the place to play this not that uh it's kind of the right thing now is uh playing it in an old man's pub back in the 80s if it had been around then just sitting in one of those smoke-filled rooms yeah definitely um yeah it really makes me want to um get the the birmingham board out now because you were like pointing out the the drawings of the little towns on the coast and stuff which i don't recall that sort of detail being in the, in the no it, it may be that i just know that area of the country slightly better as in lancashire better than i do birmingham and so you could yeah. see blackpool tower on um, there, whereas i don't really know you know leak tower yeah yeah would you have to have hot pot if you were playing this in person <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice hot pot in the game of brass brass lancashire and other other northern stereotypes available i gotta say the the deluxe version is just stunning the the like having to have the little iron clays and stuff but yeah it really does add a little bit right and we've always said that about birmingham that was our, our biggest uh trope really about brass birmingham for us is that we were not keen on it. We played it on TTS, couldn't really get our heads around it. Then we played it in person and we were blown away by it. So I, I very much look forward to trying Lancashire in person. One's, one's out. One's out. Get your ones out. Who had any? I had about five. Just a one. Just a bit of a played the wrong card by accident kind of stuff. One one for me, which was uh, putting my trains down and then realising that I didn't need to go there. I needed to go somewhere else on the map and... Uh, just wasn't concentrating so had a little reshift of my trains let's go straight through two scores on the doors then what do we reckon so i find this tricky because i looked back after tom's prompt and i initially rated brass birmingham as an eight um on my bgg scoring which i think is probably a little low um and then I feel difficult because I didn't enjoy Brass Lancashire as much as Birmingham. But I think first playthrough, getting your head around things all makes a difference. But so long story short, I'm going to give it an eight. Okay, Tom? So I'm going to give this a 9.1. I gave Brass Birmingham a nine and I think... It's only one playthrough. Who knows? But whatever. I'm going to give it 9.1 because I think there's actually a better game here there and there is in Brass Birmingham. I think there's some really good stuff here that adds more depth than you have in Brass Birmingham. Generous scoring from Tom. Have you been drinking? This is just... <laughs> I've, I've had some of this uh, Bourneville <laughs> uh, dark chocolate rum and raisin uh, chocolate. Oh, so, you know. Steady on. Wow. Okay. So Paul's been drinking and is unprecedentedly rating things low, and Tom has kind of been drinking and has been rating things high. I'm really, uh, I'm really torn. So Birmingham is in my uh, is is rated as a nine at the moment. 
And I think I think after one playthrough, I think I'm leaning towards agreeing with Tom. I think there's probably a slightly better game there. I think I think in the early instances, I'm certainly more keen to get more games of Lancashire out. Oh, I don't know what I don't know how to go with this. I think 8.5 is what my gut's saying. So not better than Birmingham. It's <laughs> one playthrough versus however many we've had at Birmingham. Birmingham, your gut, your gamer's gut. How's yeah. Tom rated a game higher? Full of snacks. Fine, nine, it's, and it's the same, and then after many playthroughs, a winner will emerge. See what we get. That's going to play havoc on the uh, on Paul's average scoring. Oh, God, is that now the highest rated game? No, 8.7, which uh, puts it, I think, third looking at... No, fourth. Wow. Europe Engulfed is 9.2. Would have been higher, but you rated it an 8 nil. <laughs> <laughs> June Imperium sat at 9.3, uh, is our top spot. Then, then you're Europe engulfed, and then at 8.8 uh, Orleans, and then uh, Brass Birmingham. So, so, fourth place, good score. So, good. That was Brass uh, Lancashire. So, that obviously the uh, the BGG rating is, is one to be taken with a pinch of salt, but Brass Lancashire coming in at number 20 uh, in the top 100, uh, 15th in the strategy game genre, uh, and Birmingham in at number one. So, congratulations to. Uh, to to the brass franchise cool excellent onwards Alrighty, so on to the what we've been playing segment this is where we have a little chat about uh what we might have been getting up to since our last recording who wants to kick us off here tom yep so last episode we were talking about solitaire play and partly i have to admit to get through it and get it off the shelf what a review um i've been playing a bit of solo adventures of robin hood uh this last weekend gone this is the michael uh menzel game from 2021 and cosmos games and um, that we've talked about a bit in the past i think maybe I've featured it here in the past as well and i'm now up to mission seven and there are some great little additions to go through paul you're playing it through so i'm not sure how far you've got so maybe won't do any spoilers but... okay great so you know what i mean like in the fifth and sixth which is what i did on Saturday, it does start to add some cool little extras um, that I felt kind of increased the tempo of the game in terms of completing everything you need to do before time runs out, which is good. And I'm enjoying playing the campaign. And I think there is some good stuff here. Uh, I did notice as well, if you've seen that there is an expansion out of this now, I don't think I'll be going for that as much as I have enjoyed um, playing this through. I think once it's completed, as I say, I will be moving on. But um, but it's, it's been a good one, for sure. Is it the Friar Tuck in Danger? That's, uh... Yeah. Yeah, so, we're, I mean, we're really enjoying it. It's, it's a great game. As you say, it adds, as you go on, doesn't it? It adds extra things almost every single mission, which is also a good way of learning the rules, a good way of learning to play, is it doesn't throw everything at you all at it's once. The whole thing that I think that game got underrated for is that it is, as Cosmos do, a family-weighted game that teaches you the rules as you go it's not something it's intended that i think it's a parents with young children kind of game to play with them learn it on a saturday night kind of thing um and it very slowly kind of takes you into it and you get to like mission five and then it's now okay now we got some some tasty things to to play with here um and then it, it adds some extra bits again more about 
you know, okay, so now you have to do this and then do that to complete yeah, your mission. It's not just do one thing. How's the board holding up after uh, you know I'm, seven games in? I'm very careful with it, but there are some of the the edges which are starting to to fray. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm trying to be careful. It's more the, the board edges as <clears throat> you piece the, the the jigsaw of the the big board. So you've got the play area, which is actually quite large. Um, few bits of fraying edges there. It's those bits, right? When you're taking them out, the the advent calendar style thing of this game that that is suffering a little bit. It just seems a bit odd that it's like it's on such flimsy card, isn't it? Like it's it's a weird thing for us to gripe about, but it's like a twenty four pound game, isn't it? It's really good value, yeah. And there's so much in the box for that price. Yeah, it's wooden cardboard, so it's very sustainable. Yeah, and in theory. And not that you would want to just play it and chuck it away. You know, I think hopefully you'd want to pass it on, find someone else. Hopefully they won't mind a few frayed edges. But if you want to make it family accessible, a sub 30 quid game is the way to do it. Whereas if you made it premium components, probably bits of plastic and other things for for the pieces to pop out so they don't fray. But by doing that, A, you're... As you mentioned, Tom, you're ruining the sustainability, but B, you're then doubling the price of the game. You, you know, you're a 60, 70 quid game. And I think that then excludes a lot of people who are looking for it for a family game. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think when I first got it, I was just excited and wanted it to be a slightly different game. But now I've given it a, f- a couple of goes, three goes, I think I did the first first two missions three maybe four times um uh, i've i think i i can appreciate what it is and have enjoyed it for that yeah great family game excellent paul what you been up to so i discovered that there was a board games club that met once a month just around the corner from me six minute drive i mean who can uh you know who can complain at that so i uh, i went for the first time last night and then i played um a fairly new game. It came out last year called Acropolis, which is um, building ancient Greek cities. Um, I I kind of likened it to Cascadia Light. So certain tiles have to be played in certain orders. And each set of tiles, uh, I think the best way to describe them is like a trihex. So it's three hexes joined together in each tile is that. So you, you place them to build up your city and depending on the the color of the different tiles, they have to be either touching or not touching or surrounded or on the edge and blah, blah, blah. blah. But there's a, an extra layer of it where you then start building your city up higher and higher. And as you do, the tiles that will score points actually score extra points for the higher you've built them. So there's a bit more strategy, but the game only takes 25, 30 minutes. It's one that makes you think enough, but without maybe suffering too much from analysis paralysis. I'm looking at pictures of this on on BGG. This is something I've I've heard the name of but never played. Are you each playing your own little little town? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of that tableau building where yeah you've you've all got your own one in front of you, and we played a couple of games of it, and. Uh, at four players each time. I think it works really well at four players. It, it scales from two to four. But 
every single time, everyone's city looked different. And I love that in a game. I love the fact that the finished article is always a, a, a different tableau to how it was before. Um, but again, it's I think it's like a 25 quid game you can pick it up for. And and I think it, again, maybe we're talking about Robin Hood. It's immediately applicable to families. It's a great one for families to pick up. You know, I, I just think it ticks a lot of boxes. It, it's one, Tom, I think you would, I know you like, Cascadia. I know you both like Cascadia, but when I was playing this, I was like, oh, I think Tom would like this as a little filler game. It's not something too major, but when you finally get to that stage of a coffee and a game before the school run with your wife, this might be the one. <laughs> one day. Excellent. Nice. So did you just play this or did you get a chance to play something else with the guys as well? Yeah, we played that and we played a game called Stockpile, um, which I then ticked as the uh, Neil should play this game which is bidding Sounds on like an auction game. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's an auction. It's an auction game. I enjoyed playing. Good. So you'll probably hate it because I'm not a fan of auction games normally, and I know you love them. We're still holding out for our perfect game of modern art sometime. Okay, but stockpile was good, and I was like, oh, it's a it's a nice game. This I'll I'll pick it up, and it's one of these that's out of out of print and is going for like 170 quid on eBay. So. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Very good. All righty. Well, I have uh, I've had a good couple of weeks of gaming. I've played a little bit more Too Many Bones. I've had some more Undaunted Stalingrad with Tom. We are now 13 missions in. Um, at the start of our last play session, it looked like uh, if I'd had a couple of good games of it, then, uh, then it, things could have ended a bit quickly. But uh, Tom absolutely battered me the last two games. Uh, all, all, all to play for um i've also played a load of carcassonne um which i nearly headlined this week because actually it's a great little game um but alas that's not what i want to talk about we uh when we were doing solo games in our last podcast uh in the six of the best segment i talked about final girl uh, and i ended up picking up a copy of that um, and a couple of the feature films. I've got to say, I am having a great time with this. So Final Girl is uh, the solo-only horror experience against a gruesome slasher or monster um, in which you'll try to save as many people as possible um, while tooling up and preparing yourself to take on the big baddie of the scenario. Um, in Final Girl, you buy like a, I think we mentioned this before, but you buy like a core set and that gives you all of the gubbins that you need to actually play the game. But on its own, it's not a game. Um, and then you add on, you know, the various uh, feature films that they call them, uh, each of which introduce two new playable final girls, uh, a baddie and a location. So, for example, you can buy the Camp Happy Trails pack where you fight Hans the Butcher uh, in like a summer camp setting. Or my current favourite is called Frightmare on Maple Lane, which whilst going nowhere near a, a copyright infringement, um, takes you on a Freddy Krueger-esque killer scene uh, in the sleepy town of Maple Lane. Um, so the two of you guys know that uh, I've been playing this because uh, we were hoping to do something uh, a little bit new and play this as our main game for tonight's episode, but there wasn't a TTS mod. So, uh, which we respect from the from the designer's point of view, I think I think they they get them down, taken down quite vehemently. Um, but I did think it would be interesting for us to all play a solo experience together, especially the same solo experience, and then chat about it and kind of see how um, how the game went differently for each of us. But maybe one day. The theme might not be up everyone's Elm Street, but the uh, the game's 
uh, card mechanics are the real thing that I like most about this. It merges perfectly with the theme as well, um, because you'd kind of you'd call this a deck builder of sorts. You've got a selection of cards offering various actions, some of which are free, some of which cost time. Um, so it might take time to search for stuff, and it might take time to have a little bit of a rest, you know. And when and when you are dealing with a slasher or a serial killer, time is important. Um, but then at the end of your turn, you spend any remaining time as your currency in the market with which to buy new cards. And then the cards that you've played that turn can't be used in the subsequent turn. So it's kind of, there is a little bit of thinking and managing. You've got this market of cards, which is basically your market of actions. Um, and it's a really, really good little uh, l- little puzzle. Um, I also really enjoy that many of the scenario packs uh, each have their own little thematic extra rules. So for um, the Freddy Krueger villain, he's got this mechanic where he can't you and uh, he can't hurt you and you can't hurt him while you're awake. Uh, but if you ever fall asleep, then you enter the kind of the fictional boiler room that's like the dream world state, and then you can you can try and knock chunks out of one another. So that's really really good. Um, the villains and locations are also all interchangeable. And there's loads of replayability. So yeah. The and one final touch is that you can also uh, have a little Google really quickly of Final Girl presentation box, where it's basically this like this Kallax sized TV set, and then all of the what looked like VHS videos go inside that. It's oh, oh, such an unnecessary waste of money, but I would absolutely <laughs> consider getting that. <laughs> so when you s- spoke about this on the last episode, at first I felt a little bit apprehensive that oh you've got to buy the core box but then you need to buy the actual game to go with it but it got me thinking we looked at in the hotness uh, i don't know how many episodes ago something about something 20 which was those dice games where you get the core set of dice yeah and then there are the different ways of playing but with the core set of dice came the first kind of game expansion and it and and that was a joint thing and that game didn't actually appeal to me, but some of the expansions did. Yeah. And so I guess this is the ideal thing, isn't it? If you like Nightmare on Elm Street, then you would get that with it. You know, if I, I have to say these kind of slasher horror movies aren't my thing. I, I'd still be interested in playing this, but it's really, it, it's a real clever touch how, yeah, you, you know, you're like, right, okay, what's my favourite horror film? Right, I'll get that as my first game to play. I, it's very clever. Yeah. No, I'm kind of yeah. on the same page as you really. I'm not, don't watch a lot of those sort of films. Um, but be very interested to give this a go just for the, the experience. Well, next time uh, you and I meet up, Noel, let's just solo play and not talk to each other and just sit in the same room playing games. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> so that's what we've been playing in the last couple of weeks uh if you would like to tell us what you've been playing in the last couple of weeks why not hop into our discord which you can find at i'm having my one.com all crowdfunding time so this isn't a segment that we include every time we record but exciting times are afoot as tom you've had a kickstarter delivery Can't yeah yeah and this is a game that i care about um a lot i think i might have referenced this game when we were talking about how we got into board games many 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 episodes ago um and the the original version is anyway um so i've received uh kingmaker as part of its uh royal relaunch 
uh, by Gibson Games. Um, and this was a game that I don't know how old it was. I feel like I was in my early teens, maybe, and went to a car boot sale somewhere in Devon where I was brought up and uh, uh, managed to get uh, the 1983 copy of this for, for 50p at the time being very happy about that i did pay slightly more than 50p for this uh this kickstarter but anyway it's arrived and i've done nothing with it other than unpack and punch out all little tokens but it looks really great streets ahead obviously of that 1983 version i had previously the two boxes side by side are a great comparison actually of how games have moved forward in the last 40 years and not only the art style but the quality of of what we've got it's not sort of thin paper boxes that kind of <laughs> just gradually squeezed like a a jam sandwich just sat at the bottom of your uh your lunch box for for 40 years um <laughs> so so really good um Really looking forward to getting this one to the table at some point. I don't know when do it, um, but it's uh, it's going to be fantastic. It's a huge nostalgia uh, factor for myself and two of my brothers who used to try and work our way through this game a few times, the old nineteen eighty three version, and, and struggle, but 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 love it. It's um, all set in the in the Wars of the Roses. Uh, really cool stuff that we will come back to. Uh, at some point later the one extra bit i wanted to mention which we talked about already this episode but it comes up every now and again in in our series is that the this is the first game i've ever seen that instead of having plastic baggies it's got little paper baggies we shall see how that works but the idea is you've got each one of those for each player potential players pieces and it's got little stickers on them. And in theory, that paper, uh, you're going to be able to open it up. I don't know that's going to last, but it does seem like a nice step towards that being uh, a plastic-free product. Um, so, yeah, it was the uh, first time I've seen that in, in games. Excellent. What's the uh, what's the runtime of the new version meant to be like? So you can, the, one of the things about this version is it does have a variety of different ways of playing the game. It's not just smash through the whole thing and take six hours over it. Um, you can do it. There's a version that you can do in two hours, I think, but probably four hours. So there is also like a two-player variant with it. So Yep. Look forward to giving it a go. Good. And what about the actual funding side of things? Anything either of you have been eyeing up? Only in the game that we, we were exchanging some messages on this the other day. Um, that Last Kingdom game that we were talking about, this is the the one from the uh, the Netflix show that is funded and seems to be okay, but it's not really hit the level that I was expecting it for something that's got that IP on it. Um, I think maybe like us, seen it and read what it's about and thought, eh, I don't know if that sounds so amazing. It looks good. And if you're a fan of the TV show, um that uh that would would perhaps appeal um but again that's that's a big popular tv program i'm surprised it hasn't done better nothing else to sell on it other than i thought that was an interesting um sort of bounce against some of these games that that push heavily into the um existing ip you know who's the publishing house on that so it's a new one or not one that i'd known before called uh gambling games gambling games Oh yeah, they you know them? Did tiny epic. Yeah, they? yes. Sorry, no. We do know them? They're the tiny, tiny epic people, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We create board games. So, <laughs> but 
but that might be one of the reasons why maybe it's not got the hugest i don't know if people associate them with mini games rather than you know yeah. being clustered with a big one like this i don't know yeah but to have a a proven track record of um proven track record of, of producing games that people love and and all of the tiny epics have, have gone very well i think we've had mixed opinions on them but um They've always been very popular, I believe. Excellent. Well, I have been staring longingly at a new campaign which started last week on GameFound, uh, which combines two of my passions in life at the moment, which is Too Many Bones and Skyrim. Uh, so it's called The Elder Scrolls Betrayal of the Second Era. Uh, it's a newly announced mammoth game from Chip Theory Games, uh, who are renowned for making these gorgeous, indestructible board games comprised of just lashings of neoprene dice and poker chips. <laughs> um, the campaign ends on Friday the 21st of April. It reached its funding goal in under two minutes of its start point, uh, and it passed $2 million pledged within the first 24 hours. Uh, so it's... Uh, sorry, first 48 hours, I think it was, actually. Sorry. Um, this is something I should be desperately all over, but at this moment in time, just weighing up finances a little bit, it's not cheap. But my goodness me, this is right up there with um, on the uh, the old appealometer. Um, I would highly recommend this to fans of either Skyrim or Too Many Bones. My hesitation at the moment is that considering that I've only just started to scratch the surface of TMB, then I think I don't know if I'm, it's going to be a waste of money just forking out on much of the same. Yeah, but you I'm love Skyrim. Money. You love Skyrim. Sorry. Oh, you two aren't being the responsible good omens that you're meant to be right now so i wonder how many backers have opted for the stretch pay option um which is interesting because i was looking at this again this afternoon i looked at it and i said no i can't justify spending that much cash right now but then it does just have this little box at the bottom that says paying 10 monthly installments of like 19 quid right yeah and I'm like, do you know what? That's not too bad. And it's interest-free. It's um, and that's I, I wonder if this is like a bit of a different conversation in and of itself. Like, how do people feel? I'm kind of torn because we live in a climate of debt where people's expenses are just rising on a crazy basis, especially right now. And I think that people should be incredibly careful what they commit to spending. But it does make those really big purchases very, very accessible. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a good way of doing it. Um, but as always, particularly as we know with these things, that it's not completely out of the realms of possibility that the Kickstarters just know don't go anywhere and then you just don't get any money back. So, you know, if you can't afford it, don't do it, no matter what the way is. Yeah. Be sensible. Sure. Yeah. But you yeah. could definitely afford this, Noel. Do you remember even even when we started this podcast or even in like pandemic times, uh, a, a, a North of a hundred pound board game was mental. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's escalated. Had, it's like, escalated so quickly. Yeah. Every single game on Kickstarter is over a hundred. There's so much now. Yeah. And I don't know where people think that they're going to get the replayability because they know that they're appealing to a market of people that in general like to have a collection of board games. So it's not, you know what I mean? It's not like it's the only game I own. It's the only game that my game group is going to play for 10 weeks in a row and that it's going to, you know, it's going to have value in doing so. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know, it's tricky. Alrighty, so that was what's hot in the crowdfunding news. Obviously, that's just a very um, select opinion of what's caught our eye. There are lots of good projects from independent and uh, other such publishers out there. So uh, yeah, do regularly check your crowdfunding pages and let us know if you think there's something that we should be looking at. On to our six of the best. Six games that we have chosen in draft format from uh, a selection of the top 50 of the Board Game Geek Hotness. Leading us in this week, we're going to go through to Eeny Meeny Miny Paul. So my first pick this week is The King's Road, um, which is a game by Rainer Knizia, who we all, we all love. Um, this is um, area control, thirty-minute game. So we, you know, we like an area control game. Um, this game plays in the sense that every player has the same deck of cards in their hand. And as they play through, they'll be playing different ways to influence certain areas of a map. The The map and the artwork, I like. It's kind of cutesy, I suppose. You know, a 30-minute, slightly simpler area control game. It's aiming again at that family market. Um, and and has got the sort of £35 family price tag on it as well. We like a Reiner Knizia game. We like an area control game. And we've played other games in the past. Um, Terraforming Mars Ares expansion, where you've got that same set of cards, and so you kind of know what people are playing, what else they've got in their hand, so that adds an extra tactical element to it. I like the look of this game. I'd like to give it a little trial playthrough. It's got a very Stone Age looking board, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Rhino Kling, I think Rhino Kling, he makes good short games. He makes good long games as well, I suppose. The the only thing with this game, it's two to five players. And I was watching a couple of little playthroughs and I think it would really benefit for that four to five player count. Whereas mm. I think at two players, I don't think there's going to be enough going on, enough of a challenge to really give the game that interest level. Okay. I'm sure this is going to be the first of six times that I say this in the next 15 or so minutes, but maybe one that we give a go at the expo. <laughs> yeah. Good. All righty. Tom, what have you been looking at? Yes, my first is a game called Dice Miner. It's a game from 2021 uh, that I saw a little bit on recently on one of uh, dear old Chaz Marler's videos. I think it actually looks like it might be quite fun it was launched on Kickstarter 2021, produced quite quickly. It's a very simple game in some ways. It's from uh, Josh DeBonis and Nikola Rosetsky and Atlas Games. It's a, it's a real classic dwarves versus dragons world that we're in here, uh, where you roll a whole load of dice into this little cardboard model of a mountain, or plastic if you're looking at the deluxe edition, and take it in turns to draft the dice to build sets and score points. And there's a bit more to it and that way you can use dice to be able to change facings and things like that fairly light get a ton of great looking dice with it plays in about 30 minutes for one to four players and you can pick it up for just over 30 quid uh here in the uk um so i think it's one that for a, a light uh game that does something a little bit different don't think we've done dice drafting we've done card drafting and 
other sorts of drafting that I can't think of. So this could be could be uh, a cool little filler type game. So anyway, yeah, dice mine. I feel this one might really appeal to you, Paul. Um, yeah, I to be honest, it's is today's the first I've really seen about it. I I think so. I try and stay away from dice because they never do what I want them to do. But I guess the drafting element will add the um, a, a bit more level of skill to it, right? Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, my first uh, pick of the lot is Distilled. Um, so Distilled is by Paverson Games. It's a midweight Euro set in a distillery where one to five players craft spirits, taking inspiration from the real world distillery process. Um, this is a game that combines resource management, recipe fulfillment, uh, tableau building, and quite a fun-looking little push-your-luck mechanic, or, or what they call a, a mitigate-your-luck mechanic. I thought it sounded a bit pedantic, but this was first announced as a Kickstarter back in July 2021. Uh, it was originally set for delivery in December 22, so they've done well on their timeline. Um, I think this was their first campaign, so it's nice to see a new company coming to Kickstarter, gaining support, and then successfully fulfilling a you know a, a, a decent campaign um, in good time. And people seem happy with the the product that they've um, all received. Uh, I'm assuming this is in the hotness now because backers are kind of receiving their copies. Mm. Uh, it's set to hit retail towards the end of April. They have also just announced that they're in production of their second game, which will launch at some point in the near future, uh, called Luthier, which is, uh, I know from uh, from my friend Duncan, who has recently qualified as a Luthier, is someone who makes instruments. Um, so they're making some quite interesting little thematic Euros about things that they kind of care about, right? So I remember when this campaign came out, I was a bit meh on it. It seemed like one of those where... I don't know. I don't know if you guys do this. Like sometimes, especially if it's a theme that 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 you kind of know. So, like I, I you know, I, I worked in bars and I like my booze and and all this kind of stuff. And then when it came out, I was a bit like, oh, that's you know, that's just going to be, that's just going to be my shelfie, but for whiskey. Um, the same thing happened when dog parks came out, right? Like there was just just an instant turn off for me working in the in the dog industry that that. It just didn't, and the same probably for woodworking the game for Paul, um, or for working in offices the game for Tom. Um, I was wondering where you're going to go with that. <laughs> wearing it, wearing a in shirt, a kind of whatever the hell is that is that you do sort of game, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but do you know, I'm I'm intrigued by this now, and 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 dare I say it, it'll probably be uh, be one that we'll check out at UKGE. So. Uh, <laughs> They've also just announced Distilled Juiced, which is the lightweight, alcohol-free version. That's, uh, that's come off it. Their, no way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's set to be their family-friendly game that apparently has been heavily requested. So maybe that's, it'll be on sale for dry January or something. That's quite entertaining. It yeah. looks good. It's like that. It just from an artwork point of view, it looks, it looks like it might be might be quite nice. Yeah, like I say, it, it looks like it's worth a look. And and <laughs> real hats off for them for delivering what looks like a fantastic first Kickstarter campaign. So yeah, very good. All right. Well, we went to Paul first on the last run, so let's go to Tom first. Right. I wasn't ready for that, but okay. So my next one is the Arnak Lost Ruins of Arnak expansion, the Mission Expedition. No, that's not right. It's called the Lost Mission Expedition. What is it called? Hang on. What the Lost it? Expedition? This is what preparing's for. I did prepare. I just didn't write it down. The Missing Expedition. There we go. Oh, uh, the mission. So it, it auto-corrected to mission. 
The Missing Expedition, uh, coming out this year. It's the expansion for 2020's Lost Ruins of Arnak, that great big Indiana Jones-style board game of uh, exploring via work placement and, and deck building. It's so funny when you say it like that. Like two on the face of it, really dry things about doing probably one of the most exciting things in in, in human existence, exploring new, new, new or un, uh, or forgotten territories, and you're doing that through work placement. Uh, anyway, so in this expansion, you're searching for your colleague, Professor Kutil, who appears to have unfortunately got a bit lost. Uh, and we're adding here a one to two player playable campaign, actually, um, for um, something that I think could look to be quite interesting. You've got some new research tracks, new leaders, assistants, items, guardians, all those goodies in there that can be just used here or as part of the base game if you're using the expedition leaders expansion as well, the first expansion. It looks like it will be about £25-£30 when it comes out in Q3 of, of this year. Um, and if you like Lost Ruins of Arna, then I think this could really appeal to you. It is a Czech Games Edition publication, which the more of their games I play, the more I'm understanding that their thing seems to be to, to really create games that look great and are in a medium to light board game category that have quite a good broad appeal if you want something that's kind of a little bit heavier that i think you probably need to look elsewhere um but what they do is, is perfectly perfectly respectable i think um if you want to check out more of our thoughts around that uh go all the way back to episode one where um the lost ruins of arnak was actually the very first game we played on this podcast so anyway that's the missing expedition the expansion to the Lost Ruins of Arnak. So the Lost Doctor in the Lost Ruins of Arnak. So much is lost. Double Inception lost. level. <laughs> Good. Excellent. All right. I look forward to adding that to the list of um, expansions <laughs> for Arnak that I still need to get round to playing. Paul, what have you got? Okay. My final game this week is Law by Campfire Games. It's just finished on Kickstarter although I think they're opening a late pledge for it. Um, this is um, a, a historical fantasy, historical action selection game with building your character, you know, rolling your dice, playing your cards, creating your world, fighting your way through it. It looks really interesting. I, the, the reason why I kind of fixated on this is the pledges for it and and i kind of got a little bit obsessed um now <laughs> i have to say the artwork is lovely it's kind of a bit root-esque in the way it looks i, I think. thought that yeah um but if you want the basic pledge to get the board game it will cost you about 48 pounds plus fat <laughs> now they also do a champion of backer kit where Right. They will take a photo of you and weave your face into the artwork so you can become a character of your choice. Oh, that's good. It is great. Are you ready for the price tag to have your face uh, in the game? Oh, God. Yeah, go on. £565 plus fat. The game better be good for that price, right? Oh, my. If you're going to put your own face in it. 
<laughs> no, I just my face isn't pretty enough for that. Oh come on, don't run yourself down. Oh, I think I'll be all right. It's fine. Um, generic hipster hairy man, you'll be fine, Noel. <laughs> Someone else must have done it, and then you'll be like, "Yeah, it's me." They're just copy paste. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they give you a discount for that. So I don't want to poo poo this game too much because it's getting a bit of traction. As I say, I think the artwork's good. But it is only a 60-minute game. And there seems to be quite a lot that you have to try and cram into this 60 minutes. Hmm. Because it's got that, you're playing the cards, you're rolling the dice, you're trying to build your characters. It plays over uh, three days, and each day has four four turns on it. So it's only a a sort of short 12-turn game. I wonder if they're trying to do too much in a short space of time. It'll be interesting to maybe watch some playthroughs. I don't want to be too negative because we were quite negative about heat when we first saw it and uh, <laughs> how wrong we were. But, but yeah, I, I was just more kind of obsessed with the over 600 quid price tag to have your face in the game, which, you know, some people might, might want to do. And in case our listener is one of those people, I don't want to knock your level of hubris to have your face plastered over one of the cards in the game, but you crack on with it. I'm just looking at this. It's one of five characters, right? It's like your likeness can be like the lady of the lake. And I think that's meant to be one of the fairly major characters. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I was, It's only I just mean, limped over the line in terms of the, 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 the funding. Well, not limped, but you know what I mean? It was... Yeah, it just kind of made its target, didn't it? 73 grand over the 50 that they predicted, so. Um, but I would definitely want my face on the Lady of the Lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what's really bizarre is, so there, there's different characters, but there's the Lady of the Lake, the village storyteller, the map maker, the mercenary. So you you get your face on one of those. But if you pick the Relic Hunter, you get your face and a friend's face on it for the same price. Mm. Savings to be had, people. Yeah. Thanks for that, Paul. Okay, so my last pick was uh, DEI, so Divide a Imperia. Um, This came out as a Kickstarter campaign in January 2020 from Ludus Magnus Studios um, and was designed by Tommaso Batista, who you might know from Barrage. Um, this has uh, now uh, gone back into the running as a game found campaign for a reprint, uh, along with the release of their latest expansion. Um, reprints are set to be available in December this year. So, DEI is a game of uh, exploration and survival set in London after it's been devastated by a new ice age. Um, players will take control of one of four bands of survivors who are competing with each other for the wealthiest loot to trade in uh, with like the central kind of entity in the game, which is what's referred to as the pure castle um, inhabited by what they call the pure ones uh, who've been elected as heirs of the old civilization. So uh, players have to explore London on two levels uh, between the streets and on the roofs of the old building. So um, it's got like this kind of build-as-you-go-along modular 3D board, um, which looks like quite a, uh, an interesting little mechanic. Um, there is uh, Each faction starts with um, eight cards, a hero, and a few explorers. 
but throughout the game, it'll be possible to acquire uh, new action cards from the black markets, uh, build buildings or structures such as bridges and elevators, uh, and you can get control of like these high-tech drones and stuff that the Pure Castle can give out to you. Um, a faction who owns the most victory points by satisfying the needs of the Pure Castle uh, is dubbed the winner. Um, this went completely under my radar in 2020, and whilst this looks really interesting, it looks great on the board, but again, it is so chuffing expensive, and it seems to have been ramped up by having loads and loads of stunning-looking minis. Um, I don't know, but I, I said this a minute ago, but just I don't know how many gamers they expect to have multiple over 100 quid games in their collections, but I'm not one of them, so... Yeah, interesting. Maybe we'll try it at the con. Um, I don't know about you, though. There is something that's uh, like set in post-apocalyptic London that I'm like, way! Um, <laughs> There'll kind of... still be a busker, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Someone playing Wonderwall just as you're walking down the street. <laughs> but, yeah. So, yeah, that's available if people fancy having a little look. So that was our six of the best. Uh, look forward to tuning in uh, in a couple more weeks time as we take another look at the movers and shakers in the BGG top 50 of the hotness. Um, if you've got anything particularly that you would like any of us to have a little chat about, why not reach out to us on Instagram at I'm underscore having underscore my underscore one. And uh, and yeah, send us, your, uh, send us your thoughts there. He loves it, doesn't he? Every time. <laughs> Alrighty, time to do something a little bit different to end today's uh, recording. So for today's main topic, we're going to have a chat about one of our collective uh, favourite board game designers. Um, but can you, the listener, guess who it is? Uh, we all here love a, pod, uh, a pub quiz. Oh, I nearly, nearly, uh, nearly plugged pub quiz then. <laughs> Uh, we all love a pub quiz, um, so we thought we'd make a little interesting for you. I'm going to give you five clues as to whom this designer might be. If you get it right after one clue, you get five points, two clues, four points, three clues, three points, and so on. Uh, highest score wins a pride. Um, I say pride because there aren't any prizes, but you can take pride in knowing that you got it right. So, question number one. I was born in 1962, just outside Southampton in Ingerland. Oh, I know. <laughs> Question number two. I self-published and released my first game, Lords of Creation, in 1992. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, you I, think know. I, I think I've got an idea now, yeah. yeah. Yes, just to make this clear, we have been in a pre-production meeting and talked about who we are going to. So just to be clear, this is for the listener, not for you two. Oh, right. okay. Got it. Question number three. I founded Tree Frog, formerly Warfrog Games. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Question four. Two themes I enjoy are construction and operation of railways and the rise and fall of civilizations. Pass. <laughs> and your final clue. One of my games is currently sitting as the number one ranked game on Board Game Geek. Is Gloomhaven back? Can you tell who it is? Who am I talking about? Rainer Knizia. <laughs> he is one of our favourite board game designers, but alas, no. Our listener got it right. It was Martin Wallace. Well done, listener. Well done, listener. We knew you could do it. 
after we announced it on the Discord today. <clears throat> so, Martin Wallace, uh, been around for a heck of a long time. Um... <laughs> you old I'm having my one! <laughs> and he's right, still let me not rephrase there. that. Let me rephrase that. He's been making exceptional quality games for a long time. Between us, we haven't played, you know, uh, an abundant, you know, every single one of his games. Who could? Um, Who could? There's so many of them. Exactly, exactly. But but certainly, if pushed, I would say that he is my favourite board game designer. Hmm. Um, I've played a few on this list. I've got uh, one currently outstanding as a Kickstarter, which is Bloodstones. Really looking forward to that when it arrives. But yeah, what do you? What are your guys' favourite favourite games uh, from his? Other than the uh, the two brass games that we've just talked about for the first twenty minutes of the show. Discworld. <laughs> Come on, Paul, talk about Discworld for 20 Love minutes. Love Discworld. Oh, do you? Talk about, we'll have a deep dive just into Discworld. Let's talk about Discworld, baby. If you want to hear about Discworld, listen to all of the other podcasts. <laughs> it is good. It is a, a, a decent game that you, know, you, 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 you said through gritted teeth. <laughs> I, I recognise that it is, it is really good. And we talked about old uh, old Nanty Narkin and wanting to give that that a go at some point, right? As a, I, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about this game that, that I don't doesn't click with me in the same way that you guys. I think it's it's what we talked about before. The um, it's got quite a lot of take that uh, about it, which I'm not a huge about, huge fan. But you know, I've talked about that that before and it's boring why i don't like it why do you both of you like this game a lot right paul is one of your favorite games it is um i mean i do think there is a large uh nostalgia element uh, i'm not a big reader but i've read all of the discworld novels uh terry pratchett was absolute genius you know and uh it, it really captivated my imagination and my reading and then to be able to play a game that Neil and I played a lot back in the day. And so much humour in it as well, right? In, the, in Terry Pratchett's work that does pass into that game to a certain extent. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, we've, we've not played uh, Nancy Narkin, but, you know, it's kind of a reskin, isn't it? And... But is, is it the theme? Like, is it is it that, or is it what you're doing in there? You enjoy the gameplay. So, the theme is a huge, huge element for me. The artwork is beautiful, but I really like the gameplay. And although there is a lot of taking other people's pieces or you know capturing different areas, I don't feel it's too. It doesn't feel too personal when I play. Maybe it's because you know. win. <laughs> I wish. I wish I won. I, I think it it takes that light-hearted humor about it. And a lot of the time when things are gonna go wrong are from random event cards. And I do like I like the randomness, I like the chaos. Noel? Yeah, definitely one of my favorite of his games. Like you say, I can't I can't resist the chaos in that. I can't resist those those uh the random event deck. It, uh, as we've said before, it's one of those ones that, that, that really unfortunately went out of print due to licensing issues. Um, and then it was re I think it was, I think Nanty Narking only came about fairly recently, like 2019. Oh, yeah, definitely. Something like that. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd for sure I'd be interested to play it. I don't. I wonder if it would sit quite some way below Discworld for me, just because it's missing out on that theme. Like, so one of the things that I think that Martin Wallace does is he takes core concepts of board games, but then he, I think he really does put his own spin on them quite nicely. So um, I was looking at the list of games that I have played on here. Uh, and one, I meant to ask you, Tom, if you got if you've had a go on it. I, I've, I haven't seen it in your collection, so I can only assume you've moved it on. But uh, what did you think of Rocket Men? That was uh, that was one of his twenty twenty one releases. So I only ever got it out of the box. Now look, um, I moved it on. I think it had a nice tweak on on deck building. I think the theme was really really fun, and it was it was the it was that deck builder. But the the, the bit of it that I really enjoyed was that whole bit when you then saved up and and it was time to launch the rocket. And it was a push. It was element. It was the it was the combination of deck building with a little bit of push your luck, and with a little bit of like I couldn't go into the launch phase without putting on like david bowie's a space oddity just to have the countdown that they have like like, okay i'm gonna try and launch a rocket like ground control to major tam um i uh yeah anyway just me then so what other games uh so it's a game i was going to talk about earlier but i I saved it for this section is that when we were looking at at brass which we talked at length i won't say too much more about it but tinner's trail which is like brass light set in Cornwall having grown up in that part of the country it's something that uh that I think appeals to me I, I like that I like the um the, the redesign that Alicat games did that we both backed Neil don't play it enough for some reason but there's some really cool uh things there but, but in reference to brass Lancashire it's funny playing that game now I think there is more in common there between brass lancashire and uh I could say brass cornwall then might as well be um then there is um uh brass birmingham and tinners trail um with a little market of of uh of, of selling goods uh it's one of the things i was thinking when i was saying earlier about the ability to 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 have the market for the cotton go up and down in Brass Lancashire is that in in Tinner's Trail, where you're selling tin, surprisingly, and copper, <laughs> the um the market does go up and down. And so selling your goods at the right time is is a key component to to that to that game. So yeah, that, that was a good comparison. Must get that game out more. It's uh it's a great looking game. And I think there's uh it, it deserves more table time so you know that the original of that came out in 2008 one year after the original right. Lancashire, absolutely right? you can just see you can just see it nice okay all right going over to uh the discord uh listener jay anshall uh recommended that his favorite market martin wallace games uh were hitzy road and tinner's trail so we've also played hitzy road what did you think of that that was brilliant again it's a very different sort of game it's one of the things that's really interesting about martin wallace there's another type of games i want to talk about in a minute but he's very varied in what he does i was sort of thinking what what is the thing that of the martin wallace games that i've played which there's now six what are the things that bring it together and i sort of thinking well like tying actions together to a certain extent but that's only one type of his games there are other things like hit zero which is like a zombie apocalypse um driving down the road 
sort of trying to escape certain like Mad Max vibes about it, um, I thought uh, it was really good. Bit of resource management in there, I suppose, isn't there? But don't you just love, don't you? That is one of the most genius game designs I've ever seen where the game has been made to look as though it's been designed by a kid during a zombie apocalypse while he's driving (laughs) out to the coast, right? So all of the tokens are meant to be just like old bottle caps that he's found around. And like the cards cards that they've made the encounters out of are just like, if you look on the back, they're printed to look like old playing cards. And everything's just got like scrawlings on it. and, And it's just... It's so good, and it's a really, really different little game as well, right? Yeah. I mean, do you think if th- there are any kind of uh, tropes, if you will, of a Martin Wallace game? Are there any things that there's kind of commonality between something like, you know, can you draw any lines between Hitzy Road and Brass Birmingham? I think what he does well is when he picks with a theme, he he really nails that theme, right? It's not like, you know, we looked at, so some other games earlier like uh, acropolis for example which is very generic greek city right whereas hitsy road you feel like you're a kid on the road trip mm-hmm. brass birmingham brass lancashire you feel like you are immersed in that world it, you know even Discworld, like you feel like you're you're part of the story the the way the game is designed to draw you in, the way the artwork, you know, I know he doesn't do the artwork, but we'll have a massive input into that artwork, won't he? And uh, and so I think over a lot of other game designers where maybe the the theme sometimes feels tacked on or, you know, hasn't been hit quite right, it's clear he does a lot of research into getting that theme spot on. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah. that's a very fair comment. Yes, absolutely. I have nothing to add to that, but I think that's that sums it up really well. Yep, really good point. So uh, we've also had the listener slashing UK said on the Discord uh, that he'd really enjoyed the uh, kind of that trilogy of Mythtopia, Handful of Stars, and a uh, a few acres of snow. Tom, I know that they've been a couple of games that you've looked at. Um, what do you think? A few of acres of snow, particularly, is one. This is something that I've seen talked about elsewhere that is uh set in french and indian wars and it's a so you're in colonial north america really and some 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 interesting um elements to this game i don't know a huge amount about it other than it um it has the kind of deck building um, piece and and the themes seem to be quite interesting and that it is is reasonably well thought of but it does highlight another area of Martin Wallace's gaming creations that are more on the historical and wargaming side of things that you look in his back catalogue. There are loads that are just games from from history that is something that must be of interest to, to him as well. Um, be that specific, you know, very sort of war game things like Gettysburg and, and, uh, and, and Waterloo and so on. Um, but very, again, very, very varied in, in what he's looked at. I have only ever played one of, um, of his historical games, a game called Lincoln, which I owned a few years back. 
um, which was a, a fairly simple, straightforward American Civil War uh, game where it was a map of the eastern United States and you were uh, effectively sort of resource managing really um to be able to you know you'd, you'd have your cards in your hand you'd play your cards and you'd be able to deploy the the troops to that particular area there wasn't a lot to it in terms of combat or anything it was just a numbers game of whoever had the most but it's sort of seizing your your opportunity where when it was there to be able to to gain the initiative fantastic looking board again thinking about um brass and, and other games like that. and this one's from from phalanx um uh, sorry worthington actually i think it is actually have a quick look so phalanx psc games and worthington were involved in this one i think it was sort of the version i saw was under worthington publishing anyway really good looking uh map that you were playing on here um and some clever fairly simple ideas for some for for a topic i have another similar topic game on my shelf over here that i haven't got to the table yet because it's just so bloody complicated um yeah. but finding the moments to do it this is the precursor to to me owning that one was a kind of good gateway to, to 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 get into that and i actually even persuaded my wife who's not really interested in these sorts of games at all to have a little go we played it during lockdown and she's sort of you know in the in the sort of sense of it being a little bit chess like in a sense of uh you know right uh sort of strength right units if you like in the right places and the strategy of that um it's a it's a simple way into those sorts of games and and i wonder whether that would be the same for for some of these others such as um the few uh, a few acres of snow yeah nice i've been really looking at um in flanders field have you ever seen that one that's the one that's all about uh trying to advance through the trenches right um right. and that's a a little two to four player um where yeah you're trying to you're trying to basically reach the objective lines you start from your own trench and you've got to advance across no man's land um it's a bit of a push, push your luck game it's i think i think the thing that puts people off of this is it's rolling dice right yeah, and okay. you've got to play cards to match your role. Um, okay, I think this would be the thing that will interest me about Bloodstones, but in broadly that that world, that genre of, um, of area control, which is quite different, to something like Brass Birmingham. Yeah, you feel like this is this this is going to be his like his 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 masterpiece, right? In terms of a war game. As you backed it, you hope so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I nearly bought and didn't. And I kind of regret the reprint of London, which yeah. is rebuilding London after the great fire. And that's when I saw in Waterstones and it was on sale. And at the time I hadn't really seen much about it, but I just saw Martin Wallace and nearly picked it up there. And then, but I was supposed to be Christmas shopping for the kids and I wasn't being very successful with their Christmas shopping at the time. <laughs> Coming home with a board game for myself and nothing for them might not have gone down very well. Yeah. Um, the other one that I don't really know what's happened to it, it's kind of stalled, is um, Diamo, the battle for Japan. Yes. Yep, so, yep, yep, yep. so feudal Japan area control that looks really interesting it was originally due for release the end of last year and it's still not 
ready. I think it's going to go to Kickstarter, but it's still not even ready for for Kickstarter. So I'm not quite sure what's happened to it. I don't know if anything's coming, but that was one of his newer games that I'd been quite interested in. But I'm not really sure where where that's going in terms of release. I don't know when that's meant to be coming. No, no, there's kind of no announcement. I mean, even if you go on, uh, hang on, if you go on Stone Sword Games, who are the publishers for this, yeah. even on their website, it just says coming autumn 22. Mm. And we're now spring 23 and there's still no update. So I don't know if it's just kind of fallen and not going to happen. Yeah. So um, the last one that uh, that is on my wish list to play of his that I haven't had a go at is uh, Anno eighteen hundred, mm-hmm. um, which is the uh, the big kind of the big um, ship fleet, uh, which is the one which is from the computer game, right? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just building, building, uh, building up your own industry. I think this is. Am I right in saying that this one's quite tech tree? Um, um yeah that's the uh that's i think the one that i've considered putting in my basket the most and haven't so but if you had to uh if you had to pick one favorite favorite martin wallace game ross lancashire as of conversation <laughs> <laughs> no, i have to probably have to say brass bone at the moment but i i i do feel as i rated earlier i do think that ross lancashire will be my new favorite i think i'm probably sitting in there with you and paul i'm assuming that you're sticking with discworld uh, yeah, brass and and more pork. Yeah, brass more pork. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, those are just a couple of uh, the games that we like of his, uh, and and the ones that we've been looking at to uh, to try next. So uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed that. If you've got any feedback on the games of his that you think that we should try that perhaps we haven't mentioned, um, then again, please reach out. Uh, you can email I'm having my one at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Cool. So that brings us towards the end of our episode. Tom, I believe you've got something excited to say about mugs. <laughs> yeah, you're a pair of mugs. So, yes, excitingly, it is not long now until the UK Board Games Expo. While I am talking, Neil is going to have a look exactly how many days it is. What we thought we would do, though, to have a bit of excitement going on from our own point of view, from us over at I'm Having My One, the first 10 people who come and find us, and we will be in our branded I'm Having My One t-shirts, come and find us, and those first 10 people who say to us, I'm Having My One, will get a commemorative I'm Having My One mug from us to you we'll be talking some more about the expo in the next couple of months i understand it is just 60 days thank you neil for looking that up uh until the expo starts from recording so more to follow about that exciting event in the calendar uh but get involved come and find us and get an exciting mug It's also worth maybe highlighting for our listener that we've only got one T-shirt each, so you might want to get in there Friday or Saturday morning before, before Sunday. it gets a bit ripe. Yeah. And we say two-handed hand over the mug. Drink deep, dear friend. Yeah, excellent. I hope that happens. All righty, thank you very much for listening, folks. We've been I'm Having My One, and we hope you have yours too. See you next time. I'm having my one!